So uh, I'm, I'm pretty blown away by this. I didn't really know what to expect. Will asked me about a month or two ago, hey, come speak to our little college group. And I was like, yeah, that'd be sweet. And uh, I was expecting 10, 20 people and to have like 200 people show up and the way you guys worshiped. Um, thrilled to death to be here. My name is Chris Emmett. I'm the pastor of a church in Forsyth County. The church is called Local Church Forsyth. Uh, my wife and I uh, and our four kids moved to Georgia about seven years ago from Texas, uh, and we love it. Yeah, people from Texas, that's great. So um, we love it, uh, and I will tell you that we love uh, UNG and Alania specifically, and here's why. Uh, because of our four kids, our third born is our only daughter. She's a fifth grader. She is convinced that UNG is her college of choice, and so she's already got like her little dorm picked out, and so whenever she comes up here, this is her college. Also... Uh, Dahlonega is one of me and my wife, her name is Brianna, it's one of our favorite date places. And so uh, we come up here for date days, do lunch, and there's this little coffee shop here called Jethro's Coffee Shop. Yeah. Amazing coffee. Uh, their lattes are like 18 bucks, but totally worth the money. And so, um, yeah, so we do Jethro's all the time. So uh, I, I'm thrilled to death to be here tonight, but I appreciate Will asking me to be here. We're going to be in uh, 1 John chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you can go there. 1 John chapter 4. While you're turning there, uh, I'm actually going to read uh, some words of Jesus out of John chapter 13. It'll set up where we're going tonight. I'm going to read these words. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive into the message. You can go to 1 John 4. I'm just going to read uh, John 13. I'm going to read verse 34, 35, words of Jesus, and then I'll pray. And here's what Jesus said. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray that in this moment that the Spirit of God would begin to move uh, in this place and in the hearts and minds of every individual in this room. And I pray that all distractions would be pushed aside and that you would be the sole focus of our attention tonight. And while you're sitting there, I would just ask that you would pray for our time tonight. I should pray for the individuals on either side of you, in front of you, behind you, that God would begin to soften their hearts and minds, and that God would begin to soften your own heart and mind, and that tonight would just not be another Monday night, but that tonight God would meet us here. Jesus, we love you. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, I'm a huge fan of uh, gatherings like this, college young adult gatherings, and the reason why is uh, my wife and I uh, met each other at a young adult, college young adult gathering like this many, many years ago. And so she was a sophomore at TCU, which is in Dallas-Fort Worth area. She was 19 years old. I was 23 years old, and I was uh, volunteering. I was on the leadership team, like the creative or you know, guest services team. And it was just a Thursday night college young adult gathering thing, speaker, worship, all that kind of stuff. And I was there, and I was like handing out little flyers or whatever. And y'all, I remember the night that she floated into the room. And uh, when I say float, she just kind of walked in. But when she walked in, there was like this spotlight that shone upon her and angels sang. And I was like, oh, my goodness, who's this pretty blonde-headed girl that just walked in? And when I noticed her, so did like every other dude in the room. And the, the problem was, and it gets worse, it's like most of the guys that attended this Bible study uh, either were currently on or were formerly TCU football players. And so they just walked around muscles, abs upon abs, one of the guys was on The Bachelorette. So, like, this was my competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another story. Anyway, that was my competition. So, 
What I lack in looks and muscles, I make up for in cunning brilliance, okay? <laughs> and so she walked in, and I was like on the guest services team, and so they may have the looks and muscles, but I had the database with all the email addresses on there. And so she had filled out like her little name, Brianna Brooks, and she you know, put every email address. Well, that next week, uh, I swipe her email address off of it, and I email her. I say, like, hey, this is Chris from, and the, the thing was called Runway. And I was like, hey, from the Runway Bible Study, uh, I would love to talk to you about how we get this on the TCU campus. Send. And then she replied back. She goes, sounds great. I'll put some thoughts down and email them to you. And I was like, that's not what I was going for. And so... <laughs> I emailed her back. It's like, hey, I think we should talk about this over dinner. What do you think? And I was a little, yeah, I was, you know, a socially awkward chicken at the time. But I was like, there's no way she can say no to talking about God. Like, that's, a, that's somewhere in the commandments in the Old Testament. And I was like, so she emails back. She goes, sure. And I was like, great, I'll pick you up Friday night. And, uh, and she would later tell me, she goes, I didn't know if this was a date or we were talking about the Bible study. I was like, that was the whole point of it, because like, if it didn't go well, we were talking about the Bible study. If it did go well, we got four kids down the road and 18 years later, so it could go either way. And she, and she, yeah. she goes, I knew it was a date when you pulled up and I opened up your truck door and you had Frank Sinatra playing and a gallon of cologne on. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then from that night to 10 months later, 10 months later, we were walking down the aisle saying, I do. And we'll celebrate 18 years of marriage and four kids and all the crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Love her to death. So, so I was, she was here tonight, but we got a kid playing baseball in Hall County and all that kind of stuff. But like, she's like the love of my life, love her to death. Now, not too long ago, I was scrolling through my phone, through the camera roll, through all the photos. I don't know if you're to do this. And like, you ever scroll through your phone, you're going, gosh, I take some really weird pictures of things that are in there. So I was scrolling through my phone and I came across uh, a picture of Brianna. She and I are on a date and it was just a picture of her and just the right light and everything. And I was reminded, gosh, I love my wife, my best friend. It's so awesome. And then I swiped to the next one, to the next picture. And I don't know where I, or when I took this or why I took this, but the very next picture, next to the love of my life, was a half-eaten Chipotle burrito. <laughs> That's it, just the burrito. Not anybody holding the burrito or eating it, just there sitting there. Now, I love Chipotle, like love Chipotle. And so I can kind of see why it was in there. Like, yeah, I, I took it and, and it was there. Now, what's fascinating, if you hold those two pictures up next to each other, swipe, like I love Chipotle and their burritos and I love my wife. And I will use that term love interchangeably with those two things and you'll do the same thing. Like, you love your school, or you love your family, or you love your friends, or you love BCM, or you love Chipotle, too. Like, we use this word interchangeably. Now, between those two, between the Chipotle burrito and my wife, obviously, I love my wife way more than I do a burrito. Unless it has guacamole. Then it's a toss-up. But other than that, like, I love, I love my wife more than I love Chipotle burrito. But the problem is, the problem is, in the culture we live in, we use the same word love for everything. Like for, for romance and for friendship and for like food and like all of these things. And so today we're, we're going to look at this probably, in my opinion, other than 1 Corinthians 13. I'd say 1 Corinthians 13 is like king of the love chapters. I would argue that 1 John chapter 4 is probably next in line to one of the most famous chapters in all the scripture when it talks about love. And the problem is, depending on your upbringing, your background, 
Like if you had an awesome childhood or you had a nightmarish childhood, um, if you're in like a healthy, wonderful dating relationship or you just went through a really bad breakup or depending on your friend group, like love, we can bring all sorts of baggage with this word love. And so I would just ask that tonight with our brief time tonight, if you would take all of your baggage about love, your upbringing, whether you grew up in church or not, your parents, you got a good relationship or not, boyfriend, girlfriend, take all that and just put it aside tonight. And tonight, I just want to dive in and look at what Scripture says about really where love originated from, where it came from, what it means for you and for me, and then ultimately what we do with it. First John chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to pick it up in verse 7, and here's what John writes. He says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not know God, does not love, does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. And if you've got a pen or a highlighter in verse 10, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. And furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of all the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. I want you to stop right there. We're just going to break this little passage down into two big parts. In the first half, John's writing. You just need to understand about John. So John wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He wrote the Gospel of John. Then he got creative and wrote Revelation. So those are are the books that he writes in the New Testament. John is a wordy fella. He, He just uses a lot of words, and so why... I read John chapter 13, John, that's, John wrote that, he captured the words of Jesus, and Jesus simplified it. He's like, hey, listen, the, the world's going to know you're my disciples by the way you love one another, and that was the night before he went to the cross. John goes in, and he just kind of expands it and teases it out. And so what I want you to grasp just from the first half of this section is simply this, is that God created and demonstrated love. God created and demonstrated love. It goes back and says, for love comes from God, verse 7, and the verse, uh, verse 8, God is love. So God created love. It's his idea. He is the very essence of love. And then he goes, and then he demonstrated. Like he showed it on the cross with his son. And so I want to talk about those two ideas for just a second, that God created it, and then God demonstrated. And I think for many of us, we forget that love is not something that culture created. It's not a philosophical creation. It's not created by human beings. It's created by God, and so it is a holy, righteous thing to understand and to grasp. And I think for so many of us, we get enough baggage, or we get enough heartache, we hear enough outside resources, and so love becomes this like weird, squishy, self-help kind of thing. I'm in love, I'm out of love, I feel love, I don't feel love. And it becomes this nebulous thing. But if you can push it all aside and realize when God created, it is the very essence of who he is. God is love. Love comes from God. It's not created by any other source or any other person or human being. It is created by God and by God alone. And if you understand that and get that, then you're going, 
this is what God wants you to experience. This is what he shows for you. This is what he demonstrates for you. But I think for so many of us, we forget, and love just becomes this self-helpy, kind of weird, nebulous, it'll all make me feel better type of deal. And years ago, I was getting a haircut, and I was sitting in the barber chair, and it was an afternoon. And this afternoon, they had up there on the TV show a daytime talk show. And I don't remember who the host was. It was just one of those kind of cheesy daytime talk shows. And I'm watching this while I'm getting my haircut. And this guy is interviewing this, like, life coach lady, self-help lady, and she can fix anyone and everyone, and they're talking. And he goes, great. He goes, let's, let's put it into practice. And it's a live audience, and he brings this lady out from behind the curtain. And this lady stands up there in front of everybody, spotlights on her, and her shoulders are just down like this. And he, he says in front of everybody, he goes, this is so-and-so. She's 50 pounds overweight. She hasn't had a date in two years and recently lost her job. Please welcome her to the show. And they begin to applaud, and you can just see the weight of the world on this poor lady's shoulders, and she just kind of slumps down in the couch next to the self-help guru and next to the host of the show. And I'm watching this unfold going, I can't believe like she put herself through this, and they just read all this. And it's about a three- to five-minute clip, and this lady's talking, and they're talking. And at the end of the clip, the end of the clip, the self-help guru lady, she listens to it all and she goes, here's what you got to do and here's how you're going to fix your situation. And the lady kind of perked up a little bit and she goes, you just have to be a better version of you. And everybody applauded and it went to commercial break. And this poor lady, you could just see like nothing helped. And as a human being, I'm sitting there and my heart broke. And as a pastor, I wanted to jump out of the barber chair and go, No! Like, you missed it. This poor lady just needed to be told that there's a God in the universe that loves her and cares for her despite her weight, despite her dating situation, despite her job situation. Like, she is loved, and there's a love created from a holy, righteous being, and it's the God of the universe. But instead, it's be better, do better, help yourself up, and people applaud and move on. And John is writing that love comes from God. He goes, this is real love. Not self-help, not created by humans, not created by emotions, but, but created by the God. So God created us. If you can understand that, realize that, that God initiated, he created, and then he goes and he demonstrates that at the highest level. And the way he demonstrated was not a transactional thing. It wasn't like, all right, you human beings, as long as you love me first, then I'll love you second. He loved us despite our sin. And scripture teaches that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so he demonstrates that at the highest level through sacrifice. So he demonstrates love at the highest level, not through a transactional thing, not through an emotional thing, but through a sacrificial love and sees us as human beings, broken, sinful human beings, and says, I love you enough. I'm sending my son, Jesus. I've created love, and now I'm demonstrating it at the highest level. And then the problem is, is that you and I, we view love through a selfish lens. Well, I'll love you as long as you love me. And if you're not in love with me, then I'm not in love with you. And it becomes very transactional, becomes very selfish. And Jesus taught and modeled the exact opposite of a selfish love, more of a sacrificial love. But the problem is, you and I, we live in a world and in a culture that rewards selfishness. Like you can build a great life for yourself if you're selfish. Like, if you build your world around you, you can create an awesome life that goes your way. Everything revolves around you. You get what you want, when you want, how you want. We live in a world that rewards selfishness. 
The problem and the tension is as a Jesus follower, you live in that world, but you follow a savior that taught and modeled the exact opposite. And so while we in a liberal world going, hey, you're a selfish human being, you get rewarded, we follow a savior, he goes, yeah, but I created love and then demonstrate it as a sacrificial, not a selfish thing. And before we get too high and mighty and think too much of ourselves, like nobody thinks that we're selfish human beings, but I'm here to let you know, I'm just a tiny bit older than all of you. I'm just here to tell you that all human beings have a little bit of selfishness in them. We all have that, just that inner thing in us that goes, I just need to look out for myself. And let me see if I can't prove it by this one simple question. So I need you to think back the last time you took a, a photo, a group photo with you and your friends. I don't know, you're out hiking, you're out whatever, and you take a selfie or somebody takes it, and you want to put it on social media. And they give you the phone to look at the picture of you and your friends. Here's my question. Who is the first person that you look at in that group photo? You bunch of self-righteous people. You look at yourself. You want to make sure it's good. And if you look awesome, what do you say? Post it. You could care less what the other poor fools look like in the picture. You could care less. Eyes closed, tongue hanging out. You're like, that's the best picture ever. Why? Because I look amazing. Like, there's just this innate selfishness in us. And if you know that, if you know that, you're going, okay, I know that. And so i got to root it out of me. Why? Because my Savior modeled the exact opposite. And John, you understand that John's an eyewitness of all of this, right? He saw it firsthand. Walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, was there at the cross with Jesus. This is the same guy that Jesus has to take care of his mom. This was John at the empty tomb. This is John in the upper. Like John goes, I have seen love demonstrated at the highest level. It is not a selfish love. It is a sacrificial love. And he gives his son Jesus as a sacrifice for all. So if, if we understand that God both created love, it's his idea is the essence of, and then he demonstrates that. If you, can, if you can get that kind of resolved in your mind, then he finishes up this passage. Look at verse 16. He kind of shifts gears. He says this. He goes, we know, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. And if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he's given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. So if we understand that God created and demonstrated love, then, then here's what John, he, he shifts gears, what we should do, that, that we should both experience and, and express God's love. You and I should both experience it and express God's love. And here's what I mean by experience God's love. I mean it has to move from your mind to your heart. Go back and look at verse 16. He says, we know how much God loves us, comma, and we have put our trust in his love. That moves from the mind to the heart. Because here's what I understand. You're in higher education academia world. You're very smart men and women. And so if I stand up here and say, God loves you, you're going to go, yeah. Yeah, I know that. Like, that's, that's nothing new. I get 
God is love, God loves me, God's the love of the world. I, I get that. It's not a knowledge thing, but it's moving from knowing it to trusting it. Like he goes, we know God loves us. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, if you've grown up in the Bible Belt at all, if you attended any Sunday morning church service, the preacher's going to say, God loves you. But it's moving from that to going, trusting him with your heart means going, no, I'm trusting in that love. And so that's what it means to fully experience it. So fear melts away because I fully experienced it. It begins to pour out because I believe. So it moves from just this cerebral cognitive idea to this heartfelt experiential trusting it no matter what. And some of you, and I don't know who I'm talking to, but some of you have had nightmarish homes growing up. Like you just never had a mom or dad that said, I love you. And you've heard that God loves you and, and you get that cognitively, but you didn't experience it growing up. And so it's just easier for you to cross your arms and to walk through life with a nice guard around going, yeah, 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 God loves me. I'm at BCM. That's great. But maybe tonight. Maybe it begins to move from your head to your heart and you begin to actually trust in what it means that God loves you. And let your guard down just a little bit to go, you know what, I know it in my head, but does it, do I really trust him with Mark? Because it's one thing to know it, but to experience it, you've really got to fully trust him. Years ago, I went uh, skydiving with my dad and with my brother one time. It was for my dad's birthday, kind of special thing. And so... We went out to the skydiving place, and you got to go through all this training and stuff, and you're going to get like a you know, tandem person strapped to you, professional, and you watch all these videos, and here's what happens, and is it going to be good? And so you go, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. Professional, he knows what he's doing, great, no problem. So we get up in the airplane, it's me and my dad and my brother, we fly up, and you're like 10,000 feet up, the door opens up, time to jump. My brother and instructor jump out, and they go, parachute opens up. My dad gets to the edge. He jumps out, parachute opens up, and it's me and the instructor's time. And so we kind of scoot to the edge, and he goes, you ready? I go, here we go. And so we jump out, and we're going. It's free fall, and it's awesome, everything. And then he pulls the ripcord. And when he pulls the ripcord, like, I hear the parachute going, and we're there, and it dawns on me, it feels like we're falling a little bit faster than I thought we should have been falling. I didn't want to tell the guy how to do his job. It was my first time skydiving. I'm sure he'd done it before. And so, but I'm like, man, that ground's coming pretty quick. I kind of thought I'd be a little bit slower. And then I hear these words from the instructor behind me. He goes, hang on. Okay. I'm here. If you need me, what? I got two free hands. You know, hang on. But yeah, he goes, hang on. All right. All right. No problem. And he goes, our parachute is twisted up. I'm going to fix it. And I, I kind of craned my neck, and it's, it's wrapped up, toggle cords, and it's not open up at all. And it's one of those deals where, like, man, if you're an atheist, you should go skydiving. That'll make you a Christian fast. Like, it's like, oh, all right. I mean, so it's like this. And all, he undoes the toggle cords, and, and the parachute opens up, and we land. And I change my pants going about my day type of deal. <laughs> but it was one of those deals, like, knowing it, like, I knew, like, the instructor knew. Like, I went through the training videos. It's another thing to trust him when he goes, hang on. Like, it's, it's one thing to go, oh, yeah, 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 I know. It's good. It's going to be fine. It's another thing when you're in the midst of disaster and the expert says, hang on. And some of you, you're in the middle of like a brutal time and God's going, hang on. And you're going, no, 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 I got this. He's going, no, no, no. I need you to hang on. I need you to let me work and, and figure things in my time. You're going, no, 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 no. God, I know you love me, but I've got it worked out myself. I've got plan A, B, and C. And God, if those don't work out, you come in with plan D. 
When it comes to trusting in God, there is no plan B. There is no safety net. There is no backup plan. It's trusting him all or nothing. And this is what it really means to experience. This is what it really means to understand and moving from your head down to your heart going, I understand what it means to know it, but then to trust it is to fully experience. So if we understand that we that God created it and that he demonstrated it, and then it's for us to, to experience it, to move from the head down to the heart. Look at the very last verse. He says, and God has given us this command in verse 21. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. So he created it and he demonstrated it, and so you and I should experience it and then express it. It's one of those things to, to understand it, let it move from your head down to your heart and to experience the love of God, to trust in the love of God and to see him move in things. But then what John is writing is going, now that should be expressed to other people. That should be expressed in the way you move and the way you work and the way you operate and what you text and what you post and, and just how you treat people around you. The experience that you've had on the inside should be expressed on the outside. And I just wonder how true is that for many of us in this room? Like to sit in a room like that going, gosh, I love to sing songs. I'm experiencing it. But it's another thing to go, yeah, I don't really agree with you. And so I'm not sure I quite love you. I, I think you view the world differently. So I'm not quite sure I love you the way God has loved me. And the command in here is not optional. Right? Jesus didn't say this. And John is going, hey, if you feel up to it, you should love one another. If, if it suits you, if they view life the way you view it, then gosh, by all means, love them. But if not, it's, you're off the hook. If we realize that God demonstrated his love at the highest level, and while we were yet sinners in your darkest, most desperate, sinful time, Christ died for you and expressed his love for you in that sacrificial way, then why in the world would we not share that with other people? And I think the problem is, is we just like the worldview our way, and we view it through a selfish lens, and if you line up with my worldview and the way I view things, great, but the instant you don't, I cut you off. <laughs> I was thinking the other day, I think, honestly, half of following Jesus is just don't be a jerk. Like, if you're not a jerk, I think you're halfway to sanctification. Like, I think if you just be nice to people and kind to people, I think you're like halfway there. But gosh, we get so high and mighty and self-righteous, and we've, we've experienced the love of God, but you don't line up with me, you don't do this, and so we just become these arrogant jerks that have experienced it, but we don't express it, and, and John's going, no, 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 no. No, you've experienced it, and now it should flow out from you. And I think this is why Jesus, when he prayed the night before his crucifixion, when he prayed for us, he prayed for unity. And I wonder if he looked forward to 2023 and goes, oh gosh, they're going to need this prayer big time. Because we get in our own little worlds and our own little silos and build our own little kingdoms and we experience God's love for us but never really express it to others. Years ago, I was officiating a wedding. I've officiated probably 150, 200 weddings over my ministry. I, I think they're awesome. I think they're fun. And you just never know what's going to happen at weddings. I've done them from really big to really small. And this wedding I was doing uh, was a country wedding. And when I say country, I mean country wedding. Cowboy hats, cowboy boots, and the guy's boot and ears were in empty rifle shells. <laughs> Get it? Like country, okay? So, that, so that's it. So it's, the wedding's about to start. It's me, it's the groom, and all the grooms in. We're about to walk down the aisle. The wedding's about to start. Music's playing. Grandparents walk down. And uh, I see behind me, the groom is waving to a guy in the back of the aisle. 
And so everybody's facing this way, and, and he's waving to this guy wearing a cowboy hat and sunglasses. They're waving back and forth. I, I look to the groom. I go, who's that? He goes, oh, that's my best man. I go, what's he doing in the back row? And he goes, hey, so-and-so, take your sunglasses off. He takes his sunglasses off, and he's got a big old black eye right there. And I was like, what happened? Well, last night, me and all the grooms, when we went out, and one thing led to another, and he got in a fight, and my fiance did not want a black eye in her wedding picture, so she kicked him out. I was like, wow, like so many questions. We're about to walk down the aisle, and I was like, who, who did he get in a fight with? And he looks in the back, and he goes, the guy in the back. And in the back, there's a groomsman just waving. <laughs> Sorry about that. And he goes, oh, don't worry about that. I was like, he? He goes, yeah, he hit him. It kind of got in the thing. But they're cool now. And I was like, you're in the same wedding party. Like, and you give them a black eye. And I share that because I think for some of we're on the same team, but we're giving each other black eyes. Like by what we say and how we treat one another and what we post and we just tear people to shreds because we stand on our little religious island going, look at me, and somebody else is over here going, look at me, and we just tear each other to shreds. And we wonder why the world looks at us Jesus followers and goes, man, that's, that's not something I want to be a part of. And what John is saying and what Jesus prayed is to be unified. To go, and if you've really experienced the love of God and you've really trusted in him and it's really moved from a cognitive thought to really experiencing it in your heart, then it should be an outer pouring to other people. It should be one of showing kindness and showing mercy and showing forgiveness whether you agree with the person or not. I was meeting with a pastor buddy of mine a couple of months ago. We were having a cup of coffee. He's a Lutheran pastor in the same community that I'm in. I'm not a denominational church. He's a Lutheran pastor. Vastly different ways of doing church. I mean, he wears the full-on robe and everything, and I preached in a hoodie last Sunday. So it was very different, uh, different styles of music and everything. But he and I just kind of became buddies and just talking about church and that kind of stuff. And, man, just the differences and nuances. And we laughed because he and I get along great. And, uh, but just how pa certain pastors and just because just there's some differences, we get in our own little isolated corners. And he started laughing. He goes, yeah. He goes, Chris, he goes, you and I are on the same team. We're just running a little bit different playbook. And he said, but we're still headed toward the same end zone. We're still trying to reach people for Jesus. And I was like, that's exactly right. And so if you understand going, I've experienced the love of God, it's moved from my head to my heart, then it should be an outpouring of love, not only in your little circle, but in the circles around you. And I just wonder what would happen on the UNG campus if you begin to not only experience the love of God, but you get to express it to others. Like if it started here in this room and going, okay, it's, it's more than just a cognitive thought of God loves me, to a full-on trusting in his love for my life, removing all fear, and then allowing that expression to start here and to circle out what would happen on the UNG campus. I don't know, but I think it'd be a pretty incredible thing to watch. I think it'd be a pretty incredible thing to experience. I wrote down a couple of questions just for you to think about. You certainly don't have to answer them tonight with me, but just for something for you to think about. First question I wrote down is this, is has God's love moved from your head to your heart? You're smart. I mean, you're, you're in college, crying out loud. You're here. You, you know God's word. You know God loves you. You know John 3, 16. But has it moved from your head to your heart? 
In other words, have you fully trusted in God's love for your life rather than your own plan? And the second question I wrote down is this. Who is the person that you need to love? Who is the person, both name and face? Like just in this moment, I want you to think about the name and the face of going, that's the person that I've kind of built a wall around that needs to be torn down. And the love that I've experienced from God needs to be expressed to this person, both name and face. And I'll be very candid with, very candid with you, very honest with you. This is a super fun and easy thing to preach and listen to. It is a whole other level and a very difficult thing to practice. I could easily say, oh, yeah, 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 trust in God's love. It's another thing to walk through it. It's, it's easy to go, yep, move from my head to my heart, Chris. Got it. It's another thing to really let go and trust that God is in control. But I'm just telling you from personal experience that if you can do that, your understanding and depthness of relationship will go to a level that you've never experienced before. And I'll finish with this. And that's how my wife and I had to figure this out for ourselves, move God's love from a cognitive, intellectual thought to trusting in him. Our second-born son, he's uh, 13. He's a middle schooler. He's a seventh grader. He's a fun kid, crazy kid, stinky middle schooler. He's an awesome kid. But when he was born, I remember the day he was born, uh, we were in the, the uh, postpartum room. Brianna's holding David as our son, and I'm there. And it's all exciting and everything. Doctors and nurses are coming in. Pediatrician, our pediatrician comes in. She gives David to the pediatrician. He's looking. And I watched the pediatrician, and a look came across his face. He didn't say anything, just kind of had this look, and I noticed it, and he gives the David back to Brianna and goes on. Two weeks later, we take David in for his two-week checkup, and our doctor, he looks at him, and he goes, yep, he goes, this is what I thought. And we go, what? He said, David was born with craniosynostosis. I go, what's that? And craniosynostosis means that David was born without a soft spot. So most babies are born with a soft spot so their brain can expand. Uh, his skull was fused together. So it was growing front to back, but not side to side. And he goes, yep. He goes, it's, there's no soft spot. And we go, okay, well, what do we do? And he goes, there's a surgery. He goes, it's a pretty invasive skull surgery. But they go in and they take a chunk of skull out and create a soft spot and let him wear a helmet for about a year. And he goes, but that's, that's how you have to fix this. And he goes, I'll give you the neurosurgeon and you can go talk to them. So a few weeks later, we go to the neurosurgeon, take David in, and we're like going, what in the world? And we were new parents and all that kind of stuff. Our second kid, neurosurgeon, and neurosurgeon's a great doctor, and looks at David and goes, yep, this is the surgery, and the earliest we can do it is when he's three months old. they got to be a certain age for blood transfusions and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I remember, I, we were sitting there, and he, he looks at us. Uh, Dr. Jimenez looks at us. He goes, i got to tell you both something. He goes, we have done this surgery numerous times, but I'm just here to tell you, that babies have died from this surgery. Things can go complicated. He goes, it's the right call, but I'm just telling you, there is a risk of death for your son. He goes, I just have to be very clear about that. And it rocked our world. I'm just here to tell you, as a parent, nothing will prepare you for the moment that someone goes, hey, your kid's about to have a surgery and he might die. Like, there is nothing, there's no seminary degree, there's no, nothing intellectual that goes, oh, okay, that makes sense. Our world was rocked. And for three months, 
do we give the surgery or not do the surgery? Do we, I mean, but if we don't, then he's going to have this misshapen head. But if we do, and there's all this thing, wrestling with it, we finally go, yep, it's the right call to do the surgery. We wrestle with it, and I remember the night before the surgery happened. I'm holding David in my arms, and I'm just, um, just heartbroken. And Brian and I are looking at each other and tears in our eyes because we had to come to this moment going, what happens if we lose our baby boy? Like, what happens if tomorrow after the surgery we come home with, without a kid? Our, how do we handle that? Like, and at this, that time, I'm a pastor. Like, teaching every Sunday, seminary degree, like, I get God loves me. I wouldn't have knew that. But to trust him, to trust him with my three-month-old baby boy, and we, Bri and I wrestled with him, prayed through it that night, and that night, that moment, God spoke to both her heart and mine. And the words he spoke to our heart was this, is, Chris and Brianna, I know you love David a lot, but I love him more than you ever will. And I love you two more than you ever will. And if you will just trust me, I will work it out. We love David to to grasp this idea that going, we love our son, but God loves him more. And so to trust him with that. And so the next day, take him there to get surgery. And gosh, I remember handing him over to the the anesthesiologist and he walks down the hallway and those double doors close and I just break. Because it was one of those moments where going, did I just see and kiss my son for the last time? And by the grace of God, as you know, he's now a 13-year-old crazy boy and God delivered and everything. But it was that moment that move from, yeah, I know God is love, to I'm trusting in God's love. And that is, a, that is a deeper relationship. And that's my hope and prayer for this group, is that it would move from just a cognitive going, yeah, 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 we, we know God's love, to go, no, no, we're trusting in his love, and we're letting go of our plan, and trusting and holding on to his. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this is a, a, a easy sermon to preach and to listen to and to hear. It is a whole other thing to walk in faith and trust. And Lord, I pray for all the men and women here in this room, God, that you would instill in them what it means that you truly love them and that it would move from their head to their heart, that they would understand that love is something that you created and that you demonstrated and that they get to experience at a deep level. And then, Lord, my prayer is that as it begins to move in our hearts, that it would begin to move outwards into our friend circles, into our acquaintance circles, and to the edge of the campus and beyond. Jesus, I thank you for the people in this room. Lord, I pray for those that are wrestling with some very brutal, difficult things that they're walking through. And Lord, my prayer is that tonight, in this moment, they would release control from themselves and trust in your love tonight. We love you, Jesus, and ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.